Kia ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and you're listening to the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode where we're speaking with Emma Lowe from Monawai Estates in the Hawke's Bay of New Zealand. Emma and her partner Marcelo worked in a few different places around the world before landing at their current position in Crownthorpe in the Hawke's Bay. So right now let's go have a chat with Emma. Hi Emma. Hi Boris, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Nice to speak with you and thanks for taking the time to join us on the podcast. So I understand you're sitting at home but on the on the winery property down in the Hawke's Bay at the moment? Yes, that's right. We'll go here in Hawke's Bay today. Good. And just for listeners, just in case there's any sort of mention of what's happening, we're recording this the very first day of November 2020. And yeah, so you've been there for for some time, I understand, but where did your whole wine journey start? Had you always wanted to get into wine from a long, long way back or did it sort of pan Uh, out differently for you? Yes, um, no, my farming, my background is farming and so my parents farmed all my, my life and then but they made the move to Hawke's Bay when I was in my last year of high school and looking around and going, hmm, what should I do next? And so that kind of opened my eyes to the, the wine industry and, you know, vineyards were being planted and I thought, oh, this looks like a dynamic industry to get into. And so I didn't know a lot about wine, I must say, apart from a experiment I'd done the year before making Fiji wine in my bathtub for science at school. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that turn out? Not as good as I would have hoped. You know, Fiji's have a lot higher acidity than you would think. It was kind of, we had to doctor it a bit to make it drinkable. <laughs> yeah, 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 fair enough. First time. Yep, but so when they moved down here, I thought, oh, well, that might be quite interesting. And I was sort of did science and French at school, and so I was was very keen to do some travelling, and and so I ticked a lot of my my boxes. So I after I left school, I went off to Adelaide and enrolled in their enology degree, and so that was a bit of an eye opener. Off to a different country when we were eighteen. <laughs> and that so whereabouts was that? Was that to Roseworthy, or so that was the first, maybe the second year of the of the Adelaide University degree course. So they oh, okay, in yep, in Adelaide Roseworthy. itself, yep. And so we were actually based in Adelaide. We did do some classes out at Roseworthy. We would get on a bus and trot out to Roseworthy to do some engineering classes and bits and pieces. Right, and they still had the out there, which had now kind of all moved into the Southern University campus in, in Adelaide itself. Mm-hmm. And so how was that? Was it what you expected or quite different? Um, I don't know if I really knew what I was expecting. I mean, the first year or so was was very sort of science-based. It was very much we did a lot of classes, the same as the science students. And then for my third year, I decided to apply for an exchange program to California. And so I thought it wasn't quite, wasn't quite far enough away from home. So I applied and, and got into an exchange to UC Davis and went spent a year there. UC Davis in Northern California. Northern California, okay, yep. And how long did you spend there? So I spent a year there. Mm-hmm. And basically, the terms of the exchange were that I just had to sort of find the same classes there that that I would have done my third year in, in Australia. So a lot of my grad classes and things. And okay, yep. And that was where I did my first vintage. I went and mm-hmm. was an intern at 
Kendall Jackson in Healdsburg, which is a decent sized winery. <laughs> yes, yeah, we have we have a bit of their bit of their product on the shelves in New Zealand, don't we? We do. Yes, you see it from time mm. to time. How is that university compared to what you were doing in Adelaide? Was it well, very at, similar, or have different sort of focus? At the or time how? they they had had a lot of funding probably in the. 70s and then they hadn't had a lot of funding since then and a lot of it was the equipment was a bit dated since then they've um, put in a new flash self-sufficient winery with their own off the grid and very sustainable and so I think the, the funding's kind of turned around there and they're doing a lot more research and Adelaide was always it was at that stage getting quite a lot of funding and they worked as well closely with the AWRI which was across the road so there was always good good labs and lots of input there. Yep yep okay so you you, you did your year there did a harvest with Kendall Jackson was it? Yes. Why as an intern? Yep. And how was that? That was great. It was a real good look at a lot of different things. I got to work in the cellar and in the lab and then spend some time with their research winemaker who was spending a lot of time on different Pinot Noir clones and yeah. going and seeing the differences in there. That was really interesting. And quite a big producer, are they? Because we do, we do get some of their... Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they yeah. are. Yeah. I think they're kind of maybe third or fourth, but they have sort of big wineries and little wineries, and we sort of saw a little bit of a cross-section of those as well. Yep, yep, okay. And so, and then it was back to Adelaide to, to finish off your final year? Back to Adelaide to finish off my final year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the beginning of that year, I actually did a vintage at an even bigger winery. But Jacobs Creek in the Barossa, mm-hmm. and so that was a that was a very large winery. You kind of yes. got on your bike to go and see the end of your line, and <laughs> right, and yeah, were bigger than my apartment. <laughs> but no, it was again good fun. Yeah, yeah, okay, and yeah, and again, sort of nice exposure. You to quite a what quite a large producer there, and that was in in your final year. And so what came about when once you'd finished and your so studies when I, was finished, I decided to stay in Australia a bit longer mm-hmm. and so I put a job at Rosemount Estate in the Hunter mm-hmm. and that was very much being thrown in the deep end with being put in charge with their barrel collection of several hundred barrels and sort of told you know you're in charge of that for vintage and so that was a lot of learning very quickly and I got very good at stacking barrels and nice straight lines because they did all the all the barrel stacking by hand right <laughs> stacks it up 30 barrels long and three barrels high. <laughs> yeah, good, good. And so did you just do the one harvest there or stay for a little while? Yes, I was, I was there for about um, five months and then I decided I'd like to go off to Europe. Yep. And so Philip Shaw, who was the winemaker there, put me in, t- in touch with a friend of his who had a winery in Switzerland mm-hmm. and they agreed to take me on for the Northern Hemisphere Vintage. So I flew into Norway and spent a bit of time with a friend up there and then did some backpacking on my way to, to Switzerland, which was a very different vintage experience with a family-owned winery. So I lived with the family and they kind of got their, their friends and neighbours in to pick the grapes for them, which were all little blocks on steep hillsides. Yeah. And so then, it's a quite traditional, quite sort of community-based and probably been there for some time. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think it's third or fourth generation winemakers. So. Yeah. And and in the European tradition, sort of the, the grandparents still lived in the house as well. Right. You know, kind of had a flat out the back. So the, and the winery was kind of under the house. <laughs> yeah. It's all kind of. And, and what, um, what they, varietals were you working with there? 
So they had some of the more traditional Swiss varieties. So they had Mulfegau, Silvana, Riesling, Rauschling. There's another one called Blaubunder, which we, a lot of them we don't sort of see here. And then they did small lots of the tra- more traditional you know, the French varieties we see here as well, um, Pinot Noir and, and, and some of them. We're quite close to the Italian part of Switzerland and, and the Bib Syrah from there, mm. that you don't necessarily think, but they all the Swiss wine pretty much I think is consumed in Switzerland. Their biggest market, they were just down the lake from Zurich, and their biggest market was certainly the Zurich restaurants and that, that between that and their cellar door took up most of their sales yeah yeah okay and just the one harvest there season there yeah no, so then when that was finished i went north to the near the german border and worked to another friend of theirs and who just had Pinot Noir. and so because he was picking a bit later and helped him out with them with the Harvest, which was, again was a it was a very old house and a very old setup, but, but they did of course being Swiss they had all the modern technology you know, and, the, and the pressing and processing kind of side, <laughs> a real mix of uh, tradition with, with modern technology. Yeah, yeah, okay, and and just so again, what, what sort of varietals were were there similar to or different? To so the Swiss? just Pinot Noir. Oh, just Pinot Noir. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Yep, okay. And where to from there? Did you stay in Europe or decide to venture off uh, somewhere else? So family's from Northern Ireland, and so I headed off there to see some family for Christmas, and then yep. I headed to South Africa. Right. So following the, the harvests, and was based in, in Wellington and worked alongside another Australian winemaker in five wineries around Wellington and Pale, making parcels for the English market. So it was a bit of Shannon yep. and a bit of Pinotage. Main variety, right? Okay, so you were like contract winemaker for a few different blocks. Yes, and they it was all export, was it? Pretty much back to back to the UK. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, it sounds like you sort of you, you've you've followed the harvest around, and what was what was next after South Africa? So then I thought while I was in Africa, I'd better get, go and see a bit of the the continent. So yeah, travelling from Cape Town up as far as Tanzania. Yeah. And, yep. and then how did you my, how did you get how did you get about? So my first first I took an overland truck that mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. west coast as far as Big Falls through Namibia, and and then it was a bit of local buses and hitchhiking and a train across Tanzania, which was awesome. Yes, yeah, so a little bit of everything. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and then thought what? And then I what came was... home for a couple of months. Okay. Yeah. Until the next vintage, which I went off. To France. So where where was where where was home? Were you folks in Hawkes Bay? Hawkes Bay. Yeah. And my parents were still yep. farming up in Kura in the hills in, in Hawkes Bay. So. Yep. Okay. And so uh, the, my first vintage in France was in the Rhone, and so once again I was making wine for the English market mm-hmm. and um, small parcels there, and, and again in the in the co-op in the larger co-op wineries. Yep. And how was that? Did you? Sort of seeing because you'd by that stage you'd started seeing a few different ways of doing things in different locations, I suppose different traditions and you know different varietals and different markets. Yes, well, that was interesting because we would uh, our brief was to to make wine for the English market in a, in a certain in a certain way and sort of more of a new world style, and sometimes we did clash a little bit with the with the French traditionalists. Yeah, not often not the winemakers themselves, but often just the staff working in the in the cellars that had been doing it the same way for 
200 years and so <laughs> yeah yeah um, we're sure about you know some young kiwi girl coming to sell them to do something different <laughs> yeah this is what the this is what the market wants yeah yeah exactly. yeah yeah no always a challenge yeah okay and so again just the you did the one season there did you in the Rhone? i did one season in the Rhone. And then after I was after I was done there, I decided to, you know there was always a bit of a gap between between hemisphere vintages, and so this time I I headed to the French Alps and spent six weeks working in a bar and improving my skiing. Yeah, good. <laughs> and while I was there, I I got in touch with a, another the company I was working for didn't have any any opportunities in the in the south, but got in touch with another company similar setup that were looking for winemakers in South America, and so. I headed to Chile and this was a little bit different to my the other vintages I'd done because this winery didn't have a winemaker. So basically I was sent off to a remote vineyard in the Colchawa Valley in Chile and sort of said when I got off the plane to to, to go there, the, the managing director met me and he spoke English and that was all good. And he said, right, now we have to go to the lab supply shop. You need everything, you buy everything you need to set up a lab. I was like, you don't have a lab? <laughs> and anyway, so we went off to the lab supply shop and I got out my, my university textbooks. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what are, what are all something the... that looks like this. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, yeah, that would have been a challenge. That was a challenge, but I, I managed to get all the bits and pieces to make the, the basics. And so that was all good. Then we headed off to the country when nobody spoke any English and and was kind of here's the winery and and yet tomorrow we'll start looking around vineyards and you know vintage start next, starts next week and so, <laughs> so that was kind of um, very much a, and uh, and you're in charge you know there was no other winemaker there kind of the other ones I'd we'd sort of been more in a consulting kind of role but this was sort of fresh they had had other wine um, different winemaker in there the previous vintage but a lot of the staff had never worked in a winery before they just kind of picked the most educated vineyard hands out because the vineyard was quite large and sort of uh, so I had kind of trained them up and yes so it was it was quite a challenge but it was very enjoyable and did you learn Spanish long to get. <laughs> my Spanish is now very good <laughs> uh, yeah yeah I imagine yeah you'd have to You'd have it's, to uh, learn that pretty quickly to, to be able to organise everything and everyone. Yes, there's a lot of pictures drawn and <laughs> the, the nephew of the owner who was in charge of the vineyards spoke a little bit of English and between him and sort of speaking a few words and the dictionary and and the couple of words that I knew, <laughs> we, we muddled along until I got until my Spanish got better. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. And and what varietals were you working with there? Were you doing sort of Carmenere or? Yes, uh, yep. Carmenere. So it was just kind of the time when they were working out that Carmenere and Merlot weren't the same thing. Right, yeah. That's a great story, isn't it? It's, it's really good. I love so that. We were, so the first year, and it was a time because the first year they, were, they would say, oh, this blocks Merlot. And I was just like, okay. And then so... And then they'd be like, this block's Merlot. And I'd go out and take you know, some samples and I'm like, why is this Merlot really, really unripe and this Merlot's ready to harvest? This is so strange. And so, <laughs> and oh, that's Merlot Merlot. And that's Merlot. I was like, 
okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got to the Carmen Air thing. It was they had this Merlot Merlot and Merlot. <laughs> yeah. And the Merlot Merlot was Merlot, and the, and the Carmen Air was a lovely wine if you didn't pick it all together with the Merlot that was, you know, if, if it was sort of far enough separated that you kind of went, oh, no, this is this is not ripe and this is ripe and you, you treated them differently. But, right, is that right? So that what what year was that then that you, that you were there? 99, I think that would have been. Okay, and is that is that about around about the time that they were doing the testing? That was it was it sort of DNA that they were doing on the vines and finding that they were yeah. Well, there was a, um, now I can't remember his name, but there was a French ampelographer that went out to Chile and sort of went. No, this is not this is not what you think it is, um, no. and this block is different, and this and so then they went through all the Merlot blocks in Chile basically and classified them as one or the other. Mm. And I think there might have been some DNA testing at that stage, but I think first it was kind of done uh, visually. Okay. And I mean, they're quite, they look quite similar. They're like the leaves quite look quite similar, but the fruit matured quite at quite a different time. You know, it's yeah. it's much later. It's like Cabernet, yeah. sort of ripening period. <laughs> well, and, and Chile is now the largest producer of Carmenere, isn't it? I think internationally. It is, which is I cool. Think, yeah. um, what happened was in, in when. Bordeaux was kind of all interplanted and it got hit by phylloxera when they the plants out and replaced them. Carmenet was a variety that didn't really get replaced. So then you got vineyards that were Merlot dominant or Cabernet dominant and the Carmenet mm. kind of um, yeah, left out. Mm. Oh, that's that's oh, that's that's really would have been really interesting to be there, be there at that time, and it's lovely some of the you know Carmenera that comes out of Chile. I really like it. Yeah. Mm. And so we also made a lot of whites. We did a lot of um, Sauvignon Blanc and a thing that they call Sauvignon Ass over there, which I think is Sauvignon Vert mm. and Chardonnay. <laughs> cool. Oh well, that sounds like fun fun time there. And how long did you spend in Chile? So I was there for three months. I think I ended up being there for about six. And then and the people I was working for sort of said, you know, will you stay on? Will you come back and you know, be our winemaker rather than working for the English company, the consulting company? And so I'd kind of already arranged to go with the same company to the Loire for a vintage. And so I said to them, well, yes, but I'll, I'll go to France and, and then I'll come back. <laughs> And yeah. so I went off to do another vintage in France, some in the Loire, making Chardonnay and Rosé. Mm-hmm. And and then I went back to Chile and started working for them. Meanwhile, while I'd been away, this winery, which was already quite large, we had a million litres of tank space. In the year that I was away, or in the six months I was away, they'd got some Portuguese tank makers in and increased the capacity to 5 million litres. Unfortunately, they didn't really have the market for it and they bought in lots of grapes and made lots of wine and then sort of things came apart when it came to the marketing somewhat. Right, um, struggled to struggled so, to sell that sell that volume. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So they sort of fell off fell lines a little bit. And, Was um, there much of a, an export market? Yeah. So the first, so when they were doing around a million litres, you know, that they quite successfully marketed that to the English market. And, you know, so through the consultancy company that I was working for, but when they just had, I think, expanded too quickly without having those markets and, and you know, they were sort of talking to China and talking to other places, but a lot of it didn't, just didn't pan out and they got um Got left with, with wine and with no home to go to, sort of thing. Mm. With a lot of investment. Mm. So I 
ended up moving on to work for Santa Helena, which is part of San Pedro, mm. and so uh, sort of moved not not too far away, sort of another well, was about forty minutes away from from where I'd originally landed. And and so that was more of a corporate position in charge of one of their. They sort of had a couple of wineries, uh, a larger facility, and then and then one that they did the the barrels and the premium stuff and so on. In charge of that. And and then one day I was sitting at my desk and my mother rang me up and she said, if we would invest in some land that was suitable for grapes, would you come and do something with it? <laughs> so I thought that was an offer that was too good to refuse. Yes. So I yes. Uh, sort of started making plans to come back to New Zealand. Wow. Okay. And so had they had they seen something close to where they were farming or? Yes. So we're well. We're on the on the other. side side of the river and and sort of a bit closer to the coast than, than where the farm was mm. um, or is. <laughs> They're not farming there anymore. But, and so they just kind of looked around and sort of landed on talking to a few people and looking at some weather data and, and bits and pieces and sort of staying away from the areas that were already too heavily in grapes and therefore expensive. They landed on Crownthorpe and so we were actually – there was vineyards a little bit further down the road, maybe seven, seven or eight k's, but nobody had planted quite this far out. And so we kind of toed and froed and, and had conferences over the telephone because, you know, we weren't up to Zoom calls just back then. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and we decided this block looked really suitable. And so we went ahead and, and bought it and... By the time I sort of committed that I would stay on in Chile for the for the vintage, and these conversations were probably just in, just before vintage, and uh, so meanwhile, my parents uh, got some contouring done and pulled out some shelterbelts and got the sort of set up to be to be planted, and we ordered some grapevines, and then we came back. So I brought my now husband Marcelo with me back from Chile. Yeah. Right. So when 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 are we talking now? Is this sort of two thousand four, two thousand five? Two thousand two. Two thousand two. Okay. Yep. Yep. And, and so, yeah. were they? Were you then um, really one of the first to buy up around that area or put plant plant vines around where you are now? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So there was a guy. There was a guy across the road who had planted grapes, a little bit of cabernet and other things that were not area, and they'd had them there for years. But it was a very small block. It was you know maybe a half a hectare or something that he used to um, sell the grapes to to pasks. But um, we were really the first decent sized block. But it gave us a little bit of confidence. The following year, when Pernod Ricard bought. 300 hectares next to us. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was just about to ask. Is really high regard or, or, or they've yeah. done their own? <laughs> Done their own research and they thought they better get in before um, the rest of it goes. I was just about to yeah, say, has anyone um, joined, joined you up there? But it looks like, um, sounds like, um, sounds like they have. Yes. Um, in quite a big way. The valley's pretty much now or totally planted. So delegates have probably nearly a thousand hectares up here. Constellation have probably hundred and fifty odd. Yeah, so there's lots of big vineyards, but we're still the only winery. We're still the only winery. And just for listeners, so if you're sort of coming from the south, sort of before you get to 
the Gimla Gravels region, you veer sort of west or left up the up the river, yeah? No, from after the Gimlet Gravels? After Gimlet Gravels. So from the south. Yeah. So if you come from the south, so the, uh, if you're coming like on the back road from Hastings to Taradale, turn up the Napier Tie Happy Road at Turnhill. Mm-hmm. And then Matapura Road, where we are, is, is back towards the, the Nauru River. So we sit on the north north side of the river. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, it looks like a lovely spot. It's quite extensively planted on the south side as well. There's mm. uh, quite a lot of thing outside of it. So. It looks like a lovely spot where you are up up, up above the river. Yes. Yes. No, it's a very picturesque um, place to be, and our sort of we sort of, we're very lucky to have everything on site. So we do everything from from the vineyard to the winery. We don't have to go very far, and this lasts. We're self sufficient. Yeah. Very good. And what um, what what uh, what varietals are you are you currently growing there? So we have Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, Merlot, Pinot Noir, and we do a rosé from the Pinot Noir as well. Okay, and did you have most most of those from pretty much the get go, or did you start out with some of those and other things or? Varieties. What we have done a little bit is we've pulled out blocks, and so we've expanded our Chardonnay, which does really well. We've grown more Pinot Gris than we than we did in the beginning. So we've we've sort of played with the mix of, of volumes, but but we've kept all the all the varieties. Yep, yep, yep. Nice. And what what's what's exciting you at the moment, or even um, this you know twenty twenty harvest. It's all looking actually really good. A lot of it we mm. haven't quite got to bottle yet, but we've actually just released our 2020 Pinot Noir Rosé, and and that's looking very very fruit forward and crisp and and all the things that I like in a rosé. Yeah, and nice. I've had that out and about a few tastings lately, been very well well received. So that's kind of our wine of the moment. Yeah, good. Good, that's exciting. And anything on the horizon for you that you're you're looking at doing, or so we've just recently, which we've kind of we ongoing thing. We've recently expanded our reserve range, our upper reaches range, to include a, a merlot as well. So mm-hmm. we started off just with a pinot and a chardonnay in that range, and we've added a merlot, which has been really well received as well. Yeah, nice. One of our nice, very um, good. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So that we've yep. added that to our upper reaches range. Um, yeah, nice. And and are you seeing now that what have you got? Sort of seventeen odd years or more on the on the vines, the maturity starting to impact the what you're getting and oh, the flavour profile. Pro- it definitely makes a difference, especially yeah. in the in the reds. Yeah, just get an increasing intensity year after year. Yeah. Oh, good. Very good. All right. And we finish up on the question, if you could have any glass of wine with anyone, um, anywhere at any time, who and where and what and when would that be? I would share a glass of Chilean Carmenere with Jacques Cousteau on board the Calypso off the Poor Knights Island after a day's diving. <laughs> Very good. Very good. And so, so you <laughs> like diving? Wonderful stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, you like diving? I do. I don't. Yeah. I haven't done a lot for for a long time, but I, yeah, it was one of the things I learned to do. And and I, when I was in California, I had a few there course credits that I had to be enrolled in and so they, they did actually a university subject and they learned to scuba dive so I signed up for scuba diving 101 and off I went. Oh good on you, good on you. Yeah well that would be, a yeah I think you're completely right, he would have lots of stories to tell. I still remember those 
documentaries when I was a boy. They were the um, the documentaries to watch, weren't they, Jacques Cousteau and what he went and did and discovered and showed to the world, really. Yes, no, it's an amazing, amazing sort of side of things that you, you don't see unless you go looking for them. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, very yeah, good. So. Yeah, nice, nice. And the Carmen era, great. Cool. Hey, thanks, Emma. Thanks for taking the time. I appreciate that. It's been lovely talking with you. Not a problem. Pleasure. Good. And yeah, we're looking forward to seeing the 2020s come out. The rosé is available now, is it? It is indeed, yes. Yeah, very good. Great. Just in time for uh, for summer coming and barbecues and things. Perfect time for that. Yeah, great. Cool. Hey, thanks, Emma. Thank you. We've been speaking with Emma Lowe from Monowai Estate in Crownthorpe, Hawke's Bay of New Zealand. If you'd like to find out more about Monowai, you can go to monowai.co.nz. That's M-O-N-O-W-A-I.co.nz. And be sure to check out some of the other great New Zealand podcasts on podcast.nz. And if you'd like to follow us, you can do so on Instagram. Just look up NZ Wine Podcast. And be sure to check out some of the other great podcasts where we've spoken to other people involved in the wine industry here in New Zealand. Hey, Bye for now.